Hi everybody, welcome. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer today. Wherever you're at, we're glad you're here to worship. God bless you this day. I'm Jim and I serve as a pastor and a host for our experience together. If you're a guest, special thanks uh, for being here. We're really glad you're here. I want you to know we have a gift for you. So if you'll check in, we'll send that gift right out. It's a Starbucks digital gift card. Enjoy some brew on us. Today, we're wrapping up our series. Pastor Spencer will lead us through the scripture. We'll be in the early chapters of Genesis as we explore the story of our life with God. And so look forward to this as God has a message for us all. And if you'd like to go deeper into the message, we have a link, schweitzer.church slash next. And we have sermon discussion questions and so much more for you there. So enjoy that opportunity as well. And so today we all, as, as always, we, uh, we look to Stephanie, who's with us, to tell us more about what's going on here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Welcome to Schweitzer. This coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we invite you to attend our short service, which will happen at 6 p.m. as we prepare our hearts for Easter, coming up on April 9th. We will also be hosting some new short-term classes during Lent. Poverty Cure, hosted by Pastor Jason, will take a look at Schweitzer's approach to reaching out to our community. Corey will be leading a book study beginning Monday evening, February 27th at 6.30 on a book called Sabbath, Embracing Work and Rest. You can find out more about all of our groups at schweitzer.church groups. Next Saturday from 10 to 11.30 a.m., we are hosting a Writer's Roundtable. This is a great opportunity for anyone who is already a writer or who is interested in writing. Come meet other writers and engage in some really terrific conversation. We look forward to seeing you there. Schweitzer is an active place with weekly groups and classes, Bible studies, pickleball, and more. A few things to look forward to coming up in March. On March the 5th, Sunday evening at 6.30, we'll be hosting another night of worship. This will be an incredible night of music and creative arts led by our modern worship team. And if you are new or you just want to learn more about what we believe and what makes Schweitzer tick, we invite you to join our all-in lunch next Sunday, February 26th, after the late service. We are so happy that you decided to join us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. We appreciate you so much. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. Say hi to your friends. Uh, also, give us your insights. We really appreciate that. We'd like to hear from you. Also, if you'd like to receive the gift of prayer, we have someone, actually a team, available to pray with you. So hit the prayer button and receive the gift of prayer. And now on this day that God has given us, let's, uh, let's enjoy God. Let's worship. Let's enter into God's presence with our full hearts and minds. Let's worship together.
It is so good to pray together as we come to this time, this time of prayer that we uh, have the gift of each week. We really lean into God's presence as Jesus modeled prayer for us. Uh, prayer is crucial to our life with God and each other. And so to today, let's pray in the spirit of this uh, series, of uh, this message series that so tells us who we are in relationship to the God that we uh, love and worship. Let's pray together. Holy God and kind, kind Father, we thank you for the gift of relationship, that you seek us, uh, that you love us beyond our imagination, and yet in our humanness, we confess that uh, we sin, uh, we miss the mark. We at times neglect you, we're uh, disobedient, we're too busy, and really just do life without you, knowing that you so seek to be in every aspect of our hearts and minds. And so we repent and we turn to you. Uh, today we surrender our lives to you. We, we really, in our hearts, bow down and worship you and seek you. And so come Holy Spirit, we pray for your renewal, your awakening uh, in us that allows us to live uh, the life that you have for us. Purposeful, uh, beautiful in, in its own way, in your image and good in that uh, we can bless the world through the gift of your love, God. So in this time, now let's, let's pray specifically in our own lives and families and workplaces, uh, prayers of uh, confession and adoration and praise, thanksgiving, and God, we need you too. So prayers of help also, let's pray in silence. We thank God for the gift of prayer. It is so good, uh, again, this day to pray together. And now let's wrap up our uh, prayer life together in this experience by saying together the prayer the Lord uh, taught us long ago. Let's pray with boldness and confidence in saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, what a, uh, what a blessing it is to give back to God out of all that God gives to us. We worship a God that gives and gives and gives and provides. We are blessed people. Again, our response is to reflect God's character through the Holy Spirit that lives in us as we respond. And wow, have you responded with generosity once again 
Two specific examples, recent examples of your generosity impacting lives, transforming lives. And one is the Super Sunday food drive in support of the Flourish Food Pantry. Wow, you, uh, you showered us with food and so much more. So many lives will be impacted, uh, people blessed. Again, your gen generosity, it really matters. And then last Saturday, your generosity provided for a beautiful experience, a luncheon for widows and widowers in which their loved ones were honored and remembered. And even more so, the attendees, the participants were loved uh, through this experience and the love of God was made known to them and to each other. And they were given the gift of assurance that they are never alone. Again, a beautiful experience. Your generosity, again, provided for that specifically, and we are grateful. Again, overall, thanks for your generosity for the ministries here at Schweitzer. And you and I, a reminder, we can give each week by going to the link schweitzer.church give. Again, thanks so much. And now let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts and minds to hear Pastor Spencer. As he leads us in our final uh, message of this series as we wrap it up why the world is the way it is. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today is part seven of our series called Why is the World the Way That It Is? We have started our year not looking ahead, but looking back, way back, all the way back to the beginning. We've started our year reading the first few chapters in the book of Genesis, first few chapters of the Bible, as we've been reading about uh, how God has made the world. But, but really what these chapters do is it teaches us so much about why the world is the way that it is. Um, as I've said in the series, I think about it like what it's like to put on glasses. These first few chapters are like when you put on glasses and a fuzzy, confusing, blurry world becomes clear. It helps you make sense of, of things and why things are like this in the world. And so today we're going to wrap up this series. Now next week, we're going to start a new series called Rest. And we're going to explore for six weeks the biblical teaching of Sabbath. And I promise you, the Sabbath is about so much more than just what you do or don't do on one day a week. This is about a whole way of life that is going to refresh us. And there's so many of us, I think we'll need to hear these messages, especially because we're worn out and tired and the Bible has something to say about that. So join us next week. Uh, today we wrap this up. We're going to be in Genesis 11, uh, Tower of Babel. And like last week with Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel is probably for some of us one of those stories in the Bible that we haven't thought about for some time. If you grew up in church, maybe you learned this as a kid in Sunday school, but you haven't thought about very deeply about, about what the story is, is really about. And, and there's so much in the story that, that teaches us just, just eye-opening examples of why the world is the way that it is and helps us understand uh, the human condition and what's really driving us. So uh, Tower of Babel, it's not very long. It's only nine verses. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the whole thing through and then we're gonna go back through and, uh, and unpack it as we go so we can see the deeper meaning of what's, what's happening here. So Genesis chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Here's how it goes. It says, Now the whole world had one common language 
and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, at first glance, if you were just to take uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 up and just read it um, just by itself, you might think to yourself, wow, the Bible really doesn't want me to build cities or towers made of bricks. But, but obviously, there's a whole lot more happening here. And, and we need to understand this, not just as a, an individual story, but really in context to the whole thing. And so as we think about this in context, it's really important to remember where we've come from in this series. So this whole series, we started out seven weeks ago, Genesis chapter one, God creates this world, the universe, all that is there, and he calls it good. That's really important. God creates this world, he calls it good. Um, the next week, we looked at how God makes humans in his image and his likeness. And when he makes us, you and me and everyone who's ever lived, he doesn't call us good, he calls it very good. This is how God views you. He says you are very good. Genesis 2, we see life in the Garden of Eden, and life in the Garden of Eden was perfect. It was God's intention for us. It is absolutely perfect. We're in perfect relationship with God, with one another, with creation. And life isn't like a vacation here in perfection. It's, it's like we're working, we're tending to this earth and doing what it is God wants us to do. Genesis 3, though, things take a turn. Temptation comes. The snake and the woman have this conversation. And uh, there's this temptation to live independent from God, to not have to live subordinate to him, submitting to him, but really to live however we want to, independent of him. And this pride and this hubris that comes along with this first temptation causes all kinds of problems. I've described it like it's like throwing a rock into a pond and, and you just see the reverberations, the, the, the waves as they grow and they expand out. This very first sin has had so much impact past there. Genesis 4, the next chapter, we see the first death because death follows sin. And the first death doesn't come because of old age. Well, the people are surrounded by their friends and family. No, the first death comes because of violence and jealousy and sibling rivalry. It comes, it comes um, at, at us and, and we see the, the effects here. Last week, we looked at Noah and the flood where God was creating, recreating the earth really. And he has this new Adam, Noah. But at the, by the end of Noah's life, Noah is also rebelling against God. And once again, everything starts spinning out of control Again, And so we come to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. This is the last part of this section. And this whole section has been leading up to this, Genesis chapter 11. It's one contained, self-contained unit. Genesis 12 is going to start a new section in the Bible. And really from Genesis 12 all the way to the end, Revelation 22, the rest of the Bible is about what happens in Genesis 12, where God uh, reveals himself to Abraham and his family and seeks to save the world. But Genesis 1 through 11 tells this story of this good creation that has been polluted by human rebellion. And you just see example after example after example after example of the fallenness that is within each individual person. 
And the fallenness is on full display here with the Tower of Babel. And it helps when you understand some of these, these details. You can really start to grasp just how, how uh, fallen uh, the, this uh, intention of building this tower is. And you see this really clearly with, uh, with the bricks. This is how the tower begins. Uh, someone says, comes up with this idea, they have this new idea of, of making bricks. And so in verse 3, we read this line, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And then someone else said, following that, verse 4, uh, come, let us build ourselves a tower, a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, that's an interesting way to start a building project. They start with the bricks and then they decide to build the tower. It's like, I have this new thing. I, I don't know what to do with it. What should we do with it? Oh, let's build a tower. That's the opposite of what I would think. It's, I would think a building project would start with, hey, let's build a tower. What can we build out of it? But instead, it starts with, with the bricks. And it's, it's drawn out like this in the Bible because the author really, 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 really wants you to know they used bricks. Yes, 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 they built a tower, but to build the tower, they used bricks. And if you're reading through here and paying attention, the reason we're pointing this out is because bricks are a, a new thing. This is a new technology that is, that is before them, before this, they were using stone and tar. Now they're using bricks and mortar. That was in verse three. Like there's been this innovation that's taken place. There's this new technology and so the question is, what do they do with this new technology? What do they do with this new innovation? Well, what they do is they make a tower, and that tower is built out of pride, and it comes with just devastating consequences. And so it's, it's tempting to look at the consequences of this pride and to think, wow, if only they hadn't made bricks. Right? If they hadn't made bricks, they hadn't discovered bricks, then humans wouldn't have been scattered and there was, wouldn't have been this division through language. If they hadn't made bricks, right? I wouldn't have had to take Spanish in high school. Like if they hadn't made bricks, you know, the devastating consequences like this, this wouldn't have happened. And so it's tempting to think to ourselves, if they didn't have this new technology, then we could have dodged the problem that happens at the Tower of Babel. But, but to say that is to really miss the point about what's really driving the building of this tower, the root cause of this tower, because the cause of this tower, the root cause of this tower is not really the bricks. What's really driving it is the fallen, sinful, selfish nature that is within us, what's on the inside of us. Now, I, po I point this out because that pattern that we see here of it's easy to blame the bricks, it's easy to blame the new technology, is still a pattern that we see in the world today. Um, a new technology comes out, human ingenuity is amazing, and we see this creativity, which is really the image of God being expressed to us as we make and create things. But, but sometimes, a lot of times, this new technology, after we live with it for a little while, comes with some darkness to it, and we start to discover maybe it wasn't all that we thought it was going to be. And so we start to think to ourselves wistfully about the times before we had this technology. Let me give you an example of this. Point in case, let's talk about Facebook. I mean, I'm old enough to remember life before Facebook. And I know there's people in our church who aren't, but let me just offer you this. If you're not old enough to remember this, there was this glorious time in history before Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok and then Twitter and all these social media apps. And it was a glorious time. <laughs> it's easy to wistfully think back to this and remember what it was like before we had these, these apps. Now, I was... Um, when Facebook first came out, I was like an early adopter of, of Facebook and Twitter in particular. In fact, I was in graduate school when Facebook was, was launched. And if you remember how the launch went, it started in Harvard for just college students. And then it went to university students in Texas um, and California. And I was a graduate student in Texas at the time. So I was on Facebook early, 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 like one of the very first people who, 
who were able to get accounts. And, and I remember experiencing, it was like a new thing. I hadn't experienced anything like that before. A few a couple of years later, Twitter comes out and I, I had an account early on and it was early adopter to, to Twitter. And I remember the conversation, especially around Facebook and Twitter, where there was this hopefulness in society about what these new technologies were going to do. Like people talked about Facebook and Twitter as if, as if they were going to solve some of humans, uh, humanity's deepest problems. Like, like, like they were going to help us connect with one another. That's what we started talking about. Like, oh, we're able to connect with these long lost friends and family. They're going to help bring us together. This is what social media is going to do. And there was this talk, this hope that social media was going to allow us to to share ideas more broadly. And so we were going to become more open-minded and, and tolerant of one another. Like this was, this was the hope and the conversation in those early days of social media. And as I say that now, it's comical to say that out loud that this was the hope of what social media was going to do. Because as we live with it now and look back, it's like, how in the world did we ever have that optimism when the reality has been almost the exact opposite? I mean, there is like, study after study after study that shows that high screen time and high usage of social media is almost directly correlated to increases in depression, anxiety, and loneliness. It's like it didn't create more connections. It actually creates more loneliness. And it didn't make us more open-minded and tolerant of one another. If anything, it did the exact opposite because we started talking about things like echo chambers. I never heard that term before social media, but an echo chamber is where you basically surround yourself with the same ideas and you only hear from people you agree with. And so therefore you become more entrenched in your thinking instead of more open-minded and, and tolerant of other ideas. And so it's like it's done the exact, exact opposite. And so people look at our world today and how polarized, especially our nation is, and people will think to themselves, well, the problem is we have social media. The problem is we have, you know, this new technology that is, that is driving this. And it's really, really easy to, to think to ourselves, oh, do you remember what it was like before? And to think wistfully about that and to imagine what life would be like if only we didn't have social media. And that's like, that's like saying, if only we didn't have bricks. If only we hadn't discovered bricks, then we wouldn't have had this tower. Like, like it's to misplace where the, the brokenness comes from with, the, with this new technology because, because it's, 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 it's twisting this in the, in the wrong kind of way because to say I, I want to go back is, is really to ignore what's the root cause of, of what happens to us when we discover these new technologies because the problem is not the bricks. The problem is not the technology. The problem is the human heart. The problem is that what's within us and, and what happens though with this with this new technology is that, is that what takes place is that it, it takes what is in the human heart and it gives us an avenue of indulging that. This is the problem with the bricks. There is this avenue, this, this avenue that is now opened up to indulge the pride and the selfishness that was already there. This is what happens with social media, new, this new technology. Like, you know, lust was not new, it was already within us, but this gave us an avenue for that. Greed and jealousy was not new. It gave us an avenue for that. The division, you know, it was not new, but it gave us an avenue for this. It, it began to accentuate what was already within the human heart. And so the problem is not the technology because the technology is nothing. It's, it's, a, it's just a thing. It's a moral, it has no moral bearing whatsoever. But the real problem is that this new technology, whether it's bricks or social media or some other technology, is that it begins to accentuate and indulge what's already within the human heart. And that's what we have to address. And so we have these bricks. Problem is 
that they're starting to accentuate this. And with this bricks, what they do is they make a tower. So let's talk about this tower. So verse four, here's how they describe it. They said, let us, um, they said, come, let us build ourselves a, t- a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, three things about this tower that we just learned. First, they build it to reach the heavens. Second, they build it to make a name for themselves. And third, they build it so they will not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, this tower that they're imagining is rooted in history. Uh, There are these, uh, what they're imagining is is a historical building called a ziggurat. It's a Babylonian structure. There's ruins today of these buildings in modern-day Iraq. And and essentially, a ziggurat was a a tower, a building that was made to look like a mountain. Uh, One author I read described the purpose of a ziggurat like this. It was rooted in the earth you know, but it stretched up into the heavens. And so therefore it was thought to be this meeting place between uh, God and, or heaven and earth. There's this place that, that you could go to in order to be with God because God was, you know, up there. And that makes sense if you have a certain kind of understanding of the world. Where I went to college, there was this big river and near our campus was this 70 story tall building. And so a lot of times the fog would roll in off the river and it would cover the top of the building. So it just looked like the building went up and up and up and up and up. You couldn't see the top. And, and if you had this idea of the world that God was up there in the sky and I was down here, then it would make sense to think, oh, God must be in this tall building because I can't even see the top of it. How do I get to God? Well, I guess I just take the elevator up. That's, that's how I work. And this is what's going on with the ziggurats. It's like, how do I get to God? Well, I build this tower and the tower, the purpose of the tower is now that, so that I, I can get to God. And so when you start to think about this tower, what, they're, what their people are really trying to do is they are trying to create an avenue to get to God. Or to say that a little bit differently, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create an avenue to attain immortality because that's where God is. And that's when God was with people, there was immortality. They're, they're trying to create a way of, of achieving what it is that God gives us without actually going through God's ways. They're trying to go around what God has set up in order to achieve what it is that God has for us. And so they're motivated by arrogance and pride. I mean, how famous are you going to be if you can cheat God at God's own game? I mean, that's kind of the, the thinking that's going on here. And so when you think about this and unpack it and you start to start to realize what this tower represents, you, you come to understand what this tower really is about is it's, it's the ultimate hope in human ability. That's what the tower represents, the ultimate hope in human ability. Because if I can find a way to heaven, then I can find a way to cheat death, our great enemy. And if I can do that, then I don't have to have a need for God because I can go around him. This is the same temptation that was faced with the woman in the garden. I mean, it's the same temptation that I don't need God in order to live my life. I can live in rebellion to him. and I can live as the creature trying to put himself above the creator. It's the exact same temptation. Now, it's interesting to think about the, these reasons for building this tower. So once again, you, three, three reasons we talked about. First, they build it to reach the heavens. Second, they build it to make a name for themselves. And then third, they build it so that they won't be scattered over the face of the earth. Now, as this is unpacked, you know, I can understand why it is they're trying to build it to get to heaven, to, to reach the heavens, because you know, that's where immortality is. I can understand how it's about making a name for themselves because how famous are they going to be if they can outsmart God at their own, at his own game. But the last one, that it's about not being scattered to the face of the whole earth. Like, 
you start to think, why are they not wanting to do this? Well, once again, it comes down to, are they going to live their lives as God wants them to? Genesis chapter one, do you remember what God said to the very first people when he created us? He makes us in his image, in his likeness. And then Genesis chapter one, verse 28 says this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And then listen, listen, listen. Fill the earth and subdue it. Or do you remember what God said to Noah, who was the new Adam? What God said to Noah after the flood, here's what God said. This is chapter nine, verse one. God blessed Noah and his sons and saying to them, be fruitful and increase the number and listen, fill the earth. Like God's intention and what he specifically called humans to do is to fill the earth. And yet here are these people in the Tower of Babel who don't wanna be scattered. It's like they are rebelling against what it is that God has fundamentally called them to do. They want to live their life on their own terms. This is the the rebellion that's taking place here. And, And this rebellion, whether it's in Genesis 3 with the garden and Adam and Eve, or Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, or Genesis 9 with Noah as he begins to fall again, or whether it's Genesis 11 as we see the Tower of Babel and this human rebellion, one of the things we should be learning by now as we've gone through these chapters is that Human rebellion always comes with consequences. Here are the consequences. God's will is done. People are scattered. But as they are scattered, there's a consequence of this division that takes place through, through languages. And so we see this happening, and it's a clear indication of how the world is going to go, that there is going to be this division that exists within humanity. Now, the Bible could have ended here. Genesis chapter 11, you could put a period at the end of this story And if the Bible had ended here, you know, it would have been very, very true. And we would have all learned some things about our sinful, fallen human nature. Like we would have all learned about how we were created in God's image and goodness, image and likeness. He called us good. And yet through our own rebellion, we've suffered all kinds of consequences. We would have learned this. We would have seen in Genesis 11 here at the end, we we would have seen some things about why the world is the way that it is. We would have have seen like, why, why is there so much, you know, so much, why is the world so fractured? You know, we would have seen why. why. Why is there so much division? Why is there so much polarization and partisanship and tribalism? Like, we would have seen this. You know, why can't it, why is it that we can't all get along, as people say? Like, well, we, we see it here because there is this sin and we're fallen and it's come with consequences. And, and this is what it does. I and mean, we see this very clearly. And we see it in the world around us all the time. We see the results of our rebellion and the divisions that come with it all the time. I mean, we see it in families. When there's family members, don't want to talk to each other anymore. We see it in workplaces where there's a toxic culture and silos and divisions get created where, where there's always suspicion and, and, and you can't really work together for a common purpose. We see it in churches while churches, you know, divide or, or there's uh, maybe like wars that start to take place in churches over trivial things like uh, worship wars. Maybe even a church like experienced that. It's just like, where does this come from? Or we see it in our nation. Oh my gosh, all the time. We can't even talk to each other. We think the worst of one another. Someone doesn't share our exact ideology. It's like we accuse them and we just think terrible of them. We see this all the time and we wonder why. Why is it like this? Well, because of sin, because of division, because we said, come, let's make bricks, because we wanted to indulge this brokenness that is within all of us. And so the Bible could have ended here, Genesis 11, and it would have been true. But thankfully, that's not the end of the Bible. In fact, if you turn the page and go to the next chapter, Genesis 12, we meet Abraham. And the rest of the Bible from Abraham through Revelation 22 
is about how God is going to use Abraham and his family to save the world, the whole world. It starts with a family, but it goes to the whole world. And so it's no wonder why in uh, the New Testament, when we talk about Jesus, the Savior, what, what he's doing is he's not just doing something for his followers, but he's doing something for the whole world. In fact, in the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, what we read is that Jesus, as he launches his church, he does the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel. Let me read this to you. This is Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost. It goes like this. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That is, all the disciples of Jesus. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Let me say that differently. Other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under um, heaven. And that's probably a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the point. There's people from all over the world who are there. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. It's like God seeks to reach each individual person with this point of division that's happened because of sin, but now God is seeking to heal and to save each individual person. So utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Aren't, aren't all those uh, from that other group, the, that other people, they keep to themselves. Why are they talking to us? That, that, that they're not part of our group. They're not, they're not our people. So aren't they all Galileans? He says, then how is that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. This is this beautiful thing. The birth of the church as it, as it comes about is the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel. And doesn't this teach us something about the vision that Jesus has for his church and his people and for the world? That, that what he does is he's seeking not just to take us to heaven when we die, but rather what he's trying to do is to, is to seek to save and to heal and to forgive this broken place. He's reversing what it is that we see in the world, this brokenness that we see, and it starts with his followers as we begin to live a new kind of life. It's a beautiful vision that you see about what Jesus does as he seeks to save the whole world. And so Genesis 1 through 11, you know what? It teaches us so much about why the world is the way that it is. And you could pick it up and you could read it. And if you stopped in Genesis 11, you would have clarity about the world because you would see sinful, fallen humanity with more, with more clarity. It's very true. But that's not the end of the story. Because what God is really seeking to do is from that point, he wants to seek to save, to heal, to redeem, and to forgive all of us. And while all of us are fallen, all of us are also invited to come and experience the new life that is in Jesus. So yes, there's division and tribalism and partisanship and all these kinds of problems that are out there because they're all within us. But what Jesus can do is he can begin to heal those problems and it starts with each one of us. It starts with what is broken inside each one of us and then it comes from here. This is the vision that Jesus has and it's absolutely beautiful because all of us are invited to come and experience the life in Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Father, today we, we uh, hear this story of the Tower of Babel, and goodness, Lord, we, we know the story. 
because we've seen it, we've lived it. We know what the fractures are like. We know what the divisions are like. We know what the tribalism is like. We see it. We see it every day. We know that this is the result of our sinfulness. It's a result of the consequences that come through our rebellion. And we just, we need to confess that this is true for me. Our culture may you know, teach us something else. Our culture may not want to talk about this, but the truth is that the human uh, condition is true for all of us, that all of us are sinful, fallen people. We're made in the image and likeness of God, but we are sinful, fallen people. And so we confess, Lord, would you come and bring healing to me? And we thank you that the vision, the work that God does in this world, it's for all of us. The work of Jesus is for all of us, for the whole world, that as you seek to save us and to bring your healing and forgiveness, your, your restoration, would that start with us? For anyone who's with us today who doesn't know the work of Jesus for themselves, maybe they're on the outside of faith, or they're not quite sure where they stand with you, we just want to offer a simple prayer, a simple prayer of faith to begin to follow you and to invite you to change our life. And so we just pray a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and would you lead my life? This is the prayer that just begins us on this journey of, of life and, and faith in you. And so Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. Would you come and stir within us this healing, this salvation, this forgiveness that you have for the whole world. May we share this with others because everyone is invited to the new life in Christ. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. It's been a really, really good day of worship. Thanks for being here. A special thanks also to Stephanie for keeping us uh, connected to the worship team to, for their leading us into God's presence. To Alec and uh, the tech team, the creative team, we, we thank you for your gifts also that that make worship uh, such the experience that it is. Also, special thanks to Pastor Spencer for this message of truth and hope. And if you know anybody, and, and we likely all do, that could use a message of hope and truth, we ask you to share this on social media, share it with others. We really appreciate you doing that. We look forward to seeing you back next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're so excited. We're, we're beginning a new series called Rest. It's all about the Sabbath as we enter the season of Lent. Such, a, uh, such an inspiring uh, and reflective time of year, season in the life of the church and our lives as well. And so as, <laughs> as the voice uh, wears out here this morning, uh, we look forward to seeing you back next week. Have a really good week. God bless you. See you next week. Yeah.